The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating tenure through the community. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Staff Postgraduate Seminar Series for the School of English at Trinity College Dublin. My name is Maggie Masterson. I am one of the co-conveners of the series, along with Janice Detner and Orla Darling, and you're all very welcome today. The seminar series provides an important and supportive space for postgraduate students, faculty, and guests to present and discuss their current research. And today, we're delighted to have a presentation by Dr. Jade Dillon, who will present the paper, Alice in Asia, Examining Kaneko Kuniyoshi's Visual Reimagining of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Before we begin, a bit of housekeeping. This term, the series is being hosted by the Trinity Long Room Hub, and you can tweet as we go along at TCD English, uh, TLR Hub, and Seminars TCD 2020. If you tweet, please use the hashtag TCD English SPGS. It's also in the chat function for you to find. Jade will speak for around 40 minutes, and there will be time for questions at the end. If you have a question, please type it into the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen, and I'll relay as many questions as possible in the time allotted at the end. If there are any technical issues during the seminar, we will attempt to remedy them as quickly as possible, and we ask for your patience and understanding. Without further ado, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Jade Dillon. Jade is a lecturer in the Department of English Language and Literature at Mary Immaculate College, University of Limerick. She holds a PhD in children's literature and visual culture. Her research focuses on the visual iconography of the Alice figure created in Lewis Carroll's Alice books. And it traces the progression of Alice's characterization through multimodal platforms, including illustration and fine art photography. She has published her research with numerous academic journals and books, as well as general articles on children's literature with RTE Brainstorm. Jade's most recent publication features in the Palgrave Handbook of Children's Film and Television, 2019, with Palgrave Macmillan. And Jade also works with Children's Books Ireland on their team as a book reviewer for the literary magazine Inish. So it is my very happy pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Jade Dillon. Thanks very much, Maggie, and hello, everyone. It is lovely to be here and to be presenting my research. Um, it's such an open platform. It's really wonderful to be able to, to reach so many of you. Um, I'm gonna share my screen with you so that you can see the slides. And as Maggie said, my title today is Alice in Asia, examining Kaneko Kaniyashi's visual reimagining of Alice's adventures in Wonderland and through the looking glass. Before we get started, I want to briefly explain what my research does. Um, and I trace the progression of Alice, this idea of Alice, from Lewis Carroll's Alice books right through illustration, fine art photography and cinematography. I investigate the altering dynamic of the Alice figure through a close reading of selected and representational visual texts. My research examines the growth of Alice from child subject to adult woman, something that is a significant aspect of visual reimagining. These multimodal representations inaugurate a new sense of identity that merges with the overall idea of Alice. I consider Alice as a kind of collective and ongoing iconotext. She's amalgam of image and narrative character that transcends her literary origins. The images allow Alice to outgrow the text and give us an Alice that is far more developed than the singular character who appears in written form. I argue that the initial conception of the Alice figure stems from the photographic existence of Alice Little. Therefore, Jean Baudrillard's notion of the simulacrum is essential to my research. I trace the journey from the referent, which is Alice Little, to the end result of pure simulacrum, which is Alice as an idea that transcends her original state. The version of Alice Little that is captured in Carol's photographs is the beginning of a universal Alice figure, and thus becomes a referent for all other recreations. Hence, the Alice figure maintains a polymorphic identity through her illustrative career. As she evolves, 
the identity of Carl's protagonist widens, while the referential origin of Alice Little is inevitably altered or completely lost through pure simulacrum. Therefore, given that the referent of Alice is continuously echoed throughout reimagined illustrative works, Jacques Derrida's notion of ontology is also relevant when analysing the Alice figure. This haunting effect of being an omnipresent figure is interesting when analysing the impact of Carol's imagination on other illustrators. Effectively, she becomes an idea that echoes in the works of Alice artists, decisively present and non-present all at once. Zoe Jakes and Eugene Giddens assert that, quote, Alice has become much larger than Carol's initial conception for the story, first at the instigation of the author himself, but subsequently because his texts were seen as fruitful sources for adaptation in print, art, music, drama, and film, end quote. One can argue that Lewis Carroll's Alice stories have transcended the temporal, spatial, and cultural discourse of their original format. Alice's adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There have been adapted across a wide range of multimodal platforms to create new and complex character identities. The Alice figure has been altered to meet the needs of differing storytelling modes. The Alice that is portrayed through the cinematic lens is not the same Alice that appears in art or photographic narration. My research investigates that altering dynamic of the Alice figure. The transition from one Alice to another can be traced through cinematic developments and aesthetic narratives, whereby the character is significantly altered by expression, physical awareness and agency. I investigate how multimodal interpretations create transcultural and transtemporal character identities. Nonlinear storytelling is an essential narrative tool used throughout this analysis of the Alice books, as it allows the character of Alice to transcend the known format of language and enter into the often nonsensical realm of image-based representation and possibility. In Picture Theory, published in 1994, WJT Mitchell asserts that, quote, the differences between images and language are not merely formal matters. They are in practice linked to things like the difference between the speaking self and the seen other, between telling and showing, between sensory channels, traditions of representation and modes of experience." End quote. Mitchell's binary of image and language are relevant when examining the iconotextual relationship between the written Alice and the visual Alice. Iconography allows for an intense descriptive study of visual imagery, while critical literary theory dissects the written word and the layers of meaning that can lay beneath. Using both expressions of thought and focusing on the image text amalgamation of Carl's novels expands the possibilities of my research and offers a very clear picture of the idea of Alice. In Iconology, published in 1986 and Picture Theory, Mitchell seeks to explore what images are and how they differ from words. This concept can be easily applied to Carl's Alice books, as the many variations through the 20th and 21st centuries are largely visual, while the written narrative remains intact. In an effort to contextualize the critical dynamic of the iconotextual narrative, Julian Rose's Visual Methodologies, published in 2001, is an important source for understanding the visual narrative and modes of interpretation. Rose discusses three forms of modalities that contribute to the visual text, technological, compositional, and social. As this seminar offers close readings of Kaneko Kuniyoshi's Alice illustrations, the compositional mode will be applied to the majority of image texts. This mode consists of the content, color, and spatial organization of the image. This visual gaze is used to frame the discussion of Kuniyoshi's Alice figure through Lolita fashion and the Japanese idealization of shoujo. I argue that Kuniyoshi's idea of Alice stems from traditional Japanese subcultures, both fashionably and culturally. 
The impact of Lolita fashion and the notion of shoujo will be examined to show how Kuniyoshi's edition of Carol's Alice books conforms and confirms the transtemporal and transcultural nature of the Alice figure. In 1974, Kaniko Kuniyoshi illustrated a Japanese publication of Carol's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The images are feminine and beautiful and offer a significantly different interpretation of the Alice figure to those created by John Tenniel. Alice as a social commodity is extremely popular in the Japanese market. In an article titled Being Alice in Japan published in 2014, Masafumi Monden states that, quote, Alice's Japanese popularity is largely due to her being an icon of idealized shoujo imagery, particularly in contemporary times. Shoujo, a term first coined in the late 19th century to connote the period between young childhood and marriage, is often straightforwardly translated as girl. Yet the term is more complex than it might seem and characterizes a contradictory amalgamation of youth, femininity, innocence, budding sexuality, and a sense of autonomy, all traits represented by Carl's Alice. Moreover, the concept of shoujo, like the related aesthetic concept of kawaii or cute, can be read as having two faces. One being an idealized construction imposed predominantly by men, and the other being maneuvered by the girls themselves, thus making it an effective vehicle for women to display agency and creativity." End quote. To further identify the shoujo image, Sarah Frederick describes the shoujo as a hyper-feminine ideal and states that the visualization of the shoujo, quote, was often defined in literature and art by qualities associated with femininity at the time, sentimentality, interests in flowers, clothing, dolls, and dreamy thoughts of the moon and stars, end quote. Indeed, Kuniyoshi's Alice adheres to many of the shoujo qualities. Kuniyoshi styles his Alice figure to embody the feminine form, as she has a very slender waist, a micro fringe surrounded by long, thick hair and elegant long limbs. There is a continued meta picture included in Kuniyoshi's Alice dress. The blue dress and white pinafore is a direct replica of Disney's 1951 animation Alice in Wonderland. Similarly, the striped stockings are representative of Carol and Tennille's original character. I wish to expand the notion of metaness and meta picture here to examine how a picture can have multiple influences and then to probe the effect that has on the whole narrative. Given that the Alice figure is an ever-changing idea, it stands to reason that the varying interpretations and illustrations of her form would be subconsciously or consciously layered into one another. Disney's blue and white palette has created a global semiotic response as a universal symbol for the Alice figure, replacing Tennille's original illustrative description. So the meta picture presented here is influenced by popular culture and iconology. These popular descriptors merge with the Japanese interest in shoujo characters particularly as the Disney version of Alice is traditionally docile and feminine. Iconography is of, of particular value to the study of Kuniyoshi's illustrations as it allows for an in-depth reading of the protagonist's form. Examining figure one on the left of your screen, the femininity of Alice's body is highlighted through the technical composition of the image. Alice is the only figure that is illuminated thus capturing the reader's attention immediately. She is beautiful and feminine, a feature of the shoujo or kawaii image that Monden mentioned earlier. In fact, she is a vision of hyper-femininity in this illustration. Her makeup is indicative of pinup girl fashion and the gothic Lolita, while her hair is styled with a fringe, which is a fashion trend that originated in East Asia. Furthermore, the shoujo ideal balances on the intersection of girlhood and womanhood, a concept that Kuniyoshi captures in his depiction of the Alice figure. Mikiko Chimuri argues that Kuniyoshi, quote, depicts Alice as a Lolita-like nymphish. He's one of the pioneers of Japanese Alice illustrators who interprets Alice with an emphasis on her premature sexuality, end quote. 
This premature sexuality that Shimmery states exists in Kuniyashi's illustrations can be seen through the positioning of the body. Her pose is inviting to the viewer, her open arms show the petite and slender form, while her facial expression is alluring. Her body is also drawn to suggest budding pubescence as her breasts are not fully developed, but are still alluded to through the composition of the apron. Her downcast eyes can be read as a seductive expression, whilst also fitting into the kawaii form of cute. Of course, the duality of the shoujo is present in Kaniyashi's depiction of the Alice figure. Monden states that there are two aspects of the shoujo, one that is a byproduct of the patriarchal system designed by men, and the other that grants agency to the girls, as this representation creates an output of creativity and power. Kuniyashi's Alice, while extremely attractive, has an intense curiosity to her disposition. This curiosity develops throughout the novel and into his looking glass illustrations to display a very powerful Alice figure who oozes agency and self-actualization. There is a notable difference between the expression of Alice in the Wonderland image and the Queen Alice that is depicted in Looking Glass, which is figure three on the right-hand side of your screen. The Looking Glass Alice figure gazes intently at the viewer, which marks a significant change within Alice's own self-assertion and agency. She also seems a lot more mature in this image, as though she has entered into womanhood and is aware of the power she holds in the matriarchal world of Wonderland. Chimari describes Kuniyashi's Alice as a Lolita-like nymphish, which suggests that Alice is an attractive and sexually mature young girl who embodies the Japanese Lolita fashion subculture that is influenced by Victorian and Edwardian doll clothing. Teresa Yonker notes that, quote, Alice of Alice in Wonderland has become the archetype of the Victorian shoujo, and it is no surprise that she would become the heroine of Lolita fashion. Alice of Alice in Wonderland is by far the most popular figure in Lolita culture, end quote. Carol's Alice is a notable inspiration for many of the subculture categories, including Gothic Lolita, known as Goth Loli in Japan, Classic Lolita and Sweet Lolita. In many ways, she embodies each of these categories in equal measure. Each Lolita fashion subculture has a basic silhouette which consists of a bell skirt or an A-line skirt with a petticoat to accentuate the feminine body. The differences between each category depends on the colour and style of the dress itself. For example, Gothic Lolita is characterised by darker clothing, though not limited to black, while makeup is stylized with neatly defined eyes and dark lipstick, though black is almost never worn. And a common hair accessory for the Gothic Lolita is a bow consistent with the Alice trend. When we examine the classic Lolita and we look at the style, it is a much more mature style and uses pastel or jewel tones, while the sweet Lolita is the most childlike category. The sweet Lolita places emphasis on kawaii and idealized femininity. The dresses often feature bows, ruffles and pastel colors. While each of these three categories are aesthetically varied, Alice has been each of them at one stage of her illustrative life. Examining Kuniyashi's Alice figure through the Lolita lens, there is a definite classic Lolita image present in figure one. There is a notable A-line skirt with defined emphasis on the feminine waistline. Meanwhile, the looking glass image of Alice depicts a more Gothic style of Lolita fashion as the crimson red and lace high neck bow is consistent with this particular category. In both Alice books illustrated by Kuniyashi, Alice's makeup is inspired by the Gothic Lolita aesthetic. The Drink Me illustration gives a wonderful close-up of Kaniyashi's Alice in figure two. The dark lipstick is consistent with the Gothic styling and the niche defined eyes create the doll effect that originally inspired the Lolita fashion trend. There is, of course, elements of the Lolita, the sweet Lolita rather, in all of these images, particularly as both 
proposals and pastel colors feature in many of Kaniyashi's illustrations of the Alice figure. This drink me image is interesting because it offers multiple perspectives of Alice's growth and resizing. Kuniyashi illustrates Alice through the phases of chapter one and two of Carl's narrative. The white rabbit lingers in the foreground of the illustration, enticing Alice to follow him into Wonderland, where she subsequently grows and shrinks beyond normative limitations. This is continued in Kuniyashi's depiction of Alice in the White Rabbit's house, which resembles Carol's own illustrations of Alice Underground, rather than Carol Tenniel's 1865 published edition. He positions Alice in a rather feminine pose, and her facial expression is incredibly similar to that of the Drink Me image. Interestingly, while many illustrators, Tenniel included, depict Alice as a grotesque figure in this particular scene, Kuniyashi creates a hyper-feminine, doll-like Alice to adhere to the shoujo style. The idea of Alice is, without doubt, Kuniyashi's idealised shoujo. And we can see on screen that there are three versions of the same scene depicted. It. So the first on the top left is from Carl's manuscript, Alice Underground. The second is uh, John Tenniel's publication of the same scene. And then we have Kuniyashi's. There is an argument that Carl creates fetal claustrophobia in his depiction of this scene, where we see Alice hunched and her limbs growing beyond the structure of the house. When we see with uh, Tenille's illustration that her limbs go out through the windows, sticking very much to how the narrative itself is written, we see how they work alongside each other, how issues of place and space are used to demonstrate the character itself. Similarly, with uh, Kuniyashi's, we look at the doll-like figure so there is no element of fetal claustrophobia being shown here. Instead, we get a hyper-feminine doll-like character who, in, who invites us into this space in a very feminine and very alluring way. Mondaine argues that the ever-changing visualizations of Alice, particularly their dress, highlight even if implicitly, quote, the complexity of women's subject position that is such a seemingly demure, youthful aesthetic as exemplified by their little girl dresses can be perceived as a form of autonomy rather than endorsing links between feminine passivity while not directing his attention to Koniyashi or indeed looking at a specific illustrator. This assertion is particularly apt for this study. The dress though feminine does not force Alice into a passive role, nor does it place her in the male gaze. Instead, like the duality of the shoujo, it allows Alice to maintain agency through her aesthetic expression. Kuniyashi's idea of Alice stems from traditional Japanese subcultures, both fashionably and culturally, and he effortlessly depicts Alice in a nuanced and enigmatic way. The second section of this seminar is going to focus on the representation of the Alice figure in Kuniyashi's work outside of Carol's literary novel. The Alice motif runs throughout a lot of his later work, including illustrative collections, photography collections, standalone pieces and video game animation. Unlike the previous images, these pieces are noticeably more sexualized. On screen are two depictions of Kuniyashi's Alice figure. The first image depicts a sexual and adult Alice. The construction of the image is incredibly evocative. The block use of red, black and white is striking. This image is from a collection called Alice and shows the first glimpse of a new and sexualized being. The second image on screen is grotesque and uncanny. The disturbing nature of the illustration depicts the nightmarish qualities that are often found in certain adaptations of Wonderland. In The Gothic Child, Margarita Gregoria examines, quote, the unnatural maternal image of the child, stating the use of the doll and child motif acquired some of the threatening qualities unnatural mothers in Gothic attributed to the child, end quote. 
The unnatural quality that emulates from the right hand image is heightened by the subject's maternal space and fetal subject, which is the white rabbit. The vulgarity of the dripping blood and self-mutilation is a very large step away from the previous depictions of the Alice figure. Notably, there are meta picture allusions to Disney's stylization of Alice and Koniyashi keeps a lot of the physical traits of the published Alice figure. Yet the image is incredibly nuanced. It is worth noting at this point that Koniyashi's creative works include many sexualized images, both illustrative and photographic, including images of bondage, female nudity and sexual positions. Though this is not the primary focus of my research into his representation of Alice, I found that these elements of his creative work were present in his collection of Alice images outside of the published edition of Lewis Carroll's novels. This brings to light a very serious question. Why is a child character being turned into an overtly sexualized being? This is something that I'm currently exploring through other illustrators and other illustrative examples, and is a topic I believe needs to be looked at in my future research of Kaniyashi's work. For now, I'm going to show you a few standalone pieces that contain Alice allusions, the first being Girl in Forest. The nod to Alice is quite evident here. The stylization of the microfringe and the makeup align themselves with the earlier mentioned Queen Alice illustration. Similarly, the pocket watch is linked with the white rabbit. What I particularly like about this image is the use of vibrant color. It is extremely different to the pastel tones that we saw earlier in the published edition of Alice um, and of the Looking Glass novel. The next illustration, Two Alices, was actually created before the published edition of Koniyashi's Alice books. And you can see the physicality of the Alice figure is very different. These Alices do not have the same shoujo quality of the main Alice figure in this study. What I find most interesting about this piece is the change in costume. Alice on the left wears an A-line skirt, which does align itself with our Lolita study. However, the Alice on the right wears leggings, which alters the dynamic of gender representation here. It looks at this idea of self and other within the Wonderland realm. This subtle change in dress is important as it suggests the duality of Alice's persona, something that we witness throughout Carl's novels. Of course, the mirror is deeply reflective of Through the Looking Glass, not only because it's a direct allusion to the title of the text and also through the mode of which Alice re-enters into Wonderland, but also because it creates this mirroring quality for Alice as subject, but also for Alice as observer. Our next image, Vamp, is from a collection of Kaniyashis that illustrates female exploration and sexuality. But what I found most interesting about this collection is that many of the grown female characters are drawn and designed to look like Alice. Many of these sexualized illustrations feature blue bows or rabbit ears, and the facial features are strikingly similar to those seen in the published edition of Alice. Of course, one could argue that perhaps Kuniyashi only had one style of facial illustration, and the rest is simply coincidental. But I have found that not to be the case. For example, if we consider the next image, which is untitled, we can see that there is a distinctive difference in facial composition to the previous image. Thus, it seems as though Kuniyashi's internal meta picture is in fact intentional. The image on screen and the following three images are from another Alice collection. These images are more vibrant and detailed than previous collections. He brings to life the idea of two Alices in this image, and in terms of composition, he uses block colours to emphasise the female body. The next image, which is also untitled, brings Kuniyashi's creative fascination with bondage and sexual control to light through an Alice lens. In many ways, this is another replica of the two Alice motif that comes through a lot of his other works. So we're looking at the dynamic of the self versus the other, the Madonna whore binary, and also the, the tension that exists between innocence and experience. 
There are certainly many avenues of exploration here, but from a compositional point of view, this illustration immediately brings to mind the playing cards featured in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Yet again, another Alice allusion in Kuniyashi's works. Kuniyashi takes another sexual step in this collection by continuing with the representation of female nudity and female mirroring. You may not be able to see it clearly on screen today, but in many of these illustrations that I've just shown, the name Alice is spelt out in different ways. This, along with the naming of the collections as Alice and the continued Alice in Wonderland allusions, reasserts my earlier claim that Alice is no longer a singular entity, but that she exists beyond her literary confines. This is further noted in Kuniyashi's illustrations for Alice, an interactive museum, which was released in 1991. This is a video game that was released by Windows and it featured 12 rooms, much like Carol's 12 chapters of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. In each room, the player has to find and collect the playing cards, and this will transport them into different sections of Carol's narrative, different sections of Wonderland, and also different sections of Alice's psyche. As is hinted in the name, this game is incredibly interactive, where you can click on the paintings, which are all created by Kimiko Kuniyashi, and you can explore the dark, nightmarish Wonderland that he creates. This is one of the paintings seen in the early rooms of the game. Our Alice figure is attacked by a semi-nude character. And if you look closely, you will see the Alice name and book spelt in the background. Kuniyashi's idea of Alice is incredibly complex and has many facets of potential deconstruction. On the one hand, we have a beautiful edition of Alice represented through shoujo characterization, looking at the female and feminine form through Lolita fashion, through different cultural subcategories. And on the other hand, we have a very sexualized adult representation of Alice. Ultimately, Alice is in a state of flux, ever changing and growing to form new identities and selfhoods. And Koniyashi captures this through two binaries of childhood and womanhood, of innocence and experience, and of self and other. When we examine Kimiko Kaniyashi's idea of Alice, we see him very clearly divide his work into these binaries. As I've shown you today, we look at the published editions of Kaniyashi's texts, we see how beautiful they are, how well constructed they are in terms of technical composition, in terms of spatial organization, the use of costume and fashion, how all of these elements combined together create a very nuanced form of Alice that transcends the Victorian era, that transcends the literary uh, origins that she came from. And then we see a very, very different idea of Alice come through in his own collections. He has titled three different collections Alice. He has titled other paintings simply as Two Alices, Alice, Alice, Queen Alice, and so on. He repeats her name throughout his collection of works. And this extends beyond what I've shown you today. There is a very um, grotesque collection um, of photographs that he has uh, that depict Alice as well. And there's also another um, collection of photographs where he has different Alice allusions done through female nudity. And these again cast another light on Alice representation in modern society, even moving beyond Kaniko Kuniyashi's uh, work, there is a lot to be said for these new and changing representations of Alice. So we're seeing this transition from child character into adult woman through loads of different ideas, loads of different illustrations and multimodal platforms. Alice is no longer the Alice that she was in Alice Underground um, when Lewis Carroll created that manuscript, nor is she the character that was published and illustrated with John Tenniel. She has gone on to create a completely different life. And that is where the idea of simulacrum comes into play, that she has moved beyond the literary 
and altered over time and become this idea that exists in a, a very non-static and non-linear way. So I hope that by looking at these ideas presented by Kimiko Kamiyashi, um, that you will see this development of Alice identity and Alice selfhood. Overall, I think Kaniko Kuniyashi's work is fascinating. It gives a different insight into the, the many different faces of Alice and the, the many different selfhoods that she exists within. Um, and, you know, this work is still ongoing. It's still relatively new. As of right now, there is very little, almost nothing, published on Kaniko Kuniyashi's Alice work, which I find fascinating because he, he dedicated a lot of his time, a lot of his life's work has a form of Alice illusion within it. Um, so it's, it's quite exciting to be working on a project like this. Um, and again, I think it shows us how girlhood and how representations of the female form are constantly changing. Um, and that when we look at it through certain lenses, whether it's a visual methodology, whether we're looking at aesthetics or we're looking at literary critical work, we can certainly see how all of these ideas create a new form of Alice and one that really does um, outgrow herself time and time again. So that's my presentation for now. Thank you very much for listening and I'm really looking forward to hearing some of your questions. Fantastic, thank you, Jade. Um, hi, hi there. Okay, let me, let me um, take a look here at some of the questions. If you'll give me just a second. Mm -hmm. um, the first question I want to put to you is actually my question, and I'm I'm interested in um, the fact that the gaze, whoever is supposed to be looking at these images, is certainly an adult. Mm -hmm. And if we've taken Alice outside of the children's literature context and and put her in a more kind of pop culture, uh, contemporary cultural context, and we assume that that gaze is the adult gaze, um, what what do we think is being said about Alice the child because ultimately Alice is still a child as much as as um, anybody tries to kind of move her into adulthood or uh, that kind of thing her origins keep her childlike or keep her you know um, as a child and so I'm interested in this gaze and this kind of interiority uh, you know ex internal external kind of dialogue about the girl, the sexual girl, the almost sexual girl, and and what exactly do we think um, he is trying to say about, I guess, sex in general uh, when considering adult, maybe more adolescent characters that are still somewhat ambiguous. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with you. I think that these are very adult um, illustrations. Now, the illustrations that are in the book, so I have um, the book here with me and I think you can all see it. They are the, in the published edition. Oh, don't look at my, my nail varnish, it's all chipped. <laughs> um, if we look at the book, uh, it is very much uh, a childlike book which is very different to the representation of his own standalone pieces. So I feel like in some of these texts, you know, say if we take this example here, it is quite childlike, it is quite fantastical. Um, but in the standalone Alice pieces, it is certainly an adult text. It is certainly something that is made for the adult gaze. And I think that this idea of trying to move Alice from childhood through to adulthood is something that a lot of illustrators are doing. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Camille Rose Garcia, um, but she has transitioned Alice into this kind of goth punk teenager, um, like character who is rebellious, who is, you know, quite um, psychedelic in, in many ways. And I think that the way the illustrator looks at Alice is very different to the way that Carol portrays Alice. Um, so you have this tension between ownerships in a way of who has ownership of depicting Alice either as child or adult. Um, and I think that's the beauty of having a verbal visual duality is that both can stand alone to a certain extent. 
Um, there is, of course, an issue of uh, aging Alice up because, as you've rightly pointed out, Alice is a child in the book. You know, she is a child who explores Wonderland. But there are arguments made that Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was never really written for children. You know, that this is a book that is more for adults uh, to read and explore rather than a childlike story. Um, and I've always found Alice to be quite a, a disturbing book. Um, and one that, you know, is quite nightmarish um, for, for Alice to experience, but also for the readers to experience. And I actually never read Alice as a child. Um, I think I was a teenager before I'd read it. And even then I was trying to think of how I would feel as a child had I read that and seen all of the kind of topsy-turviness that is in that book. Um, and it's the same, I think, if we we think of any Alice adaptation that's been made recently, they all focus on a more adult Alice rather than child Alice. Um, and I, I remember reading an article that was talking about, well, you know, if you've engaged with Alice as a child, of course you want the character to age along with yourself. You don't want to always have that character in one frozen state of time. So there is this sense of uh, growing up through adaptation. But to, to kind of come back to, to Kaniyashi and his adult gaze um, of Alice, it's a phenomenon that I'm seeing a lot in my Alice research is how illustrators are looking at Alice um, and really sexualizing her in one way, but also making her more mature in another. Uh, and that's a, an ongoing tension between those, those two ideas, I think. Yeah, I think that question of does do does Alice get to grow up that, you know, that's a great mm -hmm. question. Um, and that actually, a lot of what you said is a perfect segue for a, a question we have here from Jarlis Colleen. Um, he says, thanks for this paper, Jade. I wonder if you could say something about the place of the real Alice, Alice Little, in these reconfiguration. Is she forgotten or completely left behind? Okay, that's a really interesting question. Um, when I was looking at it, because Alice Little, it was the, she was the foundation of my PhD thesis. Uh, she was the starting point for me uh, of Alice. And I wanted to look through Simulacrum at how Alice Little was echoed in a lot of works created by illustrators, um, paying particular attention to obviously the visual aesthetics, but also even certain ideas of costume coming through. And Kaneko Kuniyashi was one of the only ones where I couldn't find a direct link with Alice Little. But I guess there's steps to that because Alice Little uh, is represented in the Disney Alice's. Um, when we look at ideas of meta picture, when we look at uh, ideas of how the character is created and all of these allusions. So because Kuniyashi's Alice is, has the meta picture of Disney, there is a very, very slight echo of Alice Little, but not to the extent of other illustrators. Um, and I think that speaks a lot for Kuniyashi's independence and his own creative intentions for this character, that he doesn't necessarily come back to the origin point of who Alice is. Because I always look at, oh, well, who is Alice and then who is the real Alice? Um, because they're, they're two very different things. Alice Little loses um, her identity, I think, once the manuscript is taken off the table. So if we watch Alice Little kind of go through the manuscript and then it becomes Carol's interpretation of Alice, then you have other illustrators who take control of that. So we're moving through all the stages of Simulacrum. And that final stage is where she exists an, as an idea outside of the origin point, so beyond Alice Little. And I think that in many ways, Kuniyashi's idea of Alice actually reaches that point of pure simulacrum to an extent because it doesn't come back to Alice Little. It comes back to the, the Disney Alice, which would be, you know, kind of the, the, the third stage of simulacrum. Um, but it never gets all the way back to Alice Little. Uh, and it, it was the only one, I had done so many studies of illustrators in my PhD, and it was the only one that I could never find Alice Little directly in. Um, now, the, the image that I showed there near the end of the, the nude um, women was probably one of the only ones that I could align any form of Alice Little illusion to, 
but it was uh, the minutest of threads um, and I didn't think it was it was strong enough to consist as a, a point of this is an Alistair little echoing um, in it. So I hope that answers the question. It's very good, thank you. Um, the next question, uh, the questioner who has remained anonymous on the thread would like you to develop your point on female aesthetic autonomy uh, that you made in the middle of your presentation. If you could talk about that a little bit. Okay, so I think this might be coming from the um, idea of, and you can tell me if, if they write back about this, that it's coming from the, the shoujo section um, about female autonomy coming through the aesthetics of dress and the aesthetics of a female form. Um, and it's because women can take back agency from a patriarchal society that sets them up to be objects. So it's taking back ownership of oneself through the, the very nature of the design that is there to almost um, conform them or kind of hold them in. Uh, and what the, the shoujo argument is, is that people often assume because these girls are dressing in a hyper feminine way or because they're, they're dressing in very cutesy clothes that they're almost giving into the patriarchal system and aligning themselves with patriarchal values when actual fact they're doing almost the opposite. They're taking control of the narrative um, and allowing oneself to use that power to gain their own autonomy and agency through uh, the, either the Lolita fashion or through the, the illustrations that we've seen today. Um, it's about taking back ownership uh, from a, a very patriarchal system. Um, is that what section they were talking about? Just I think so. I haven't um, gotten another okay. uh, uh, response to that. If I do, I'll, I'll bring it up to you. Um, but but I, that sounds to me like it probably did answer the question. Um, the next question here comes from Sophie Brennan and she asks, do you believe Carol's taking of the pictures showing the real Alice was sinister or an act of fatherly, um, fatherly admiration due to the time's belief of a child to be a pure non-sexual being? Has history complicated things? History and length of time itself being the reason for the iconic image of Alice growing um, even more known than the story uh, through it being published as a novel and not a graphic novel. Um, That's a great question, Sophie. <laughs> um, and it's <laughs> one that I think always comes up no matter what you do um, in any context of Alice studies. And there, it, there's always two sides to it. Um, for my PhD, I always wanted to keep a very objective opinion as to what it was because you've rightly said has history complicated things when we think back and we look at um, socio-cultural norms at the time it wasn't unusual for people to have child friends it was something that was considered quite common um, I did a whole section on Alice photography um, and what I found was that there was never any evidence of sexual um, kind of sinister elements to the, the pictures. Um, and I know that other uh, Carl scholars would agree with that because we've looked at diaries, we've looked at um, the pictures, we've looked at all of these different references. And to date, I haven't been able to find anything sinister. However, there are other Alice scholars who might disagree with that. And it's very hard to, to say yes or no to it. Personally, I don't think it was um, a sinister act, but I actually don't think it was a fatherly act either because it, it seems to me from reading Carl's diaries and looking at the, the images, it seems to have been more of a creative output and an opportunity to create something with uh, this child who was really, um, she was really beautiful. Like she was a stunning child and she herself, it's noted in, um, in some of the diaries that she loved performing. She loved being this kind of child in the center. Um, so I think it was more an opportunity of creativity rather than necessarily fatherly admiration because 
they he fell out with the Littles for, for quite some time. Um, and he notes in his diary that Alice went through this transition. And this transition I've taken to mean uh, that she had puberty and no longer wanted to, to be this kind of performer almost. Um, and it's it's never noted. There's, uh, and this I think is where the sinister element comes in and why people question it, is that there's missing parts of the diaries. So no one ever knows what happens um, or what the reason was for this split because the little, uh, Lewis Carroll obviously and the little family were, were quite, um, I suppose, close in, in terms of friendship, but that completely uh, fell apart and we don't know why the, the diaries went missing um so unless we find them and have some breakthrough we don't actually know exactly what happened but i don't believe it's sinister i believe it was much more of kind of a creative um outlet rather than anything sinister behind the scenes and i think i can just see the questions popped up on screen here um history and length of time itself being the reason for the iconic image of alice growing yes um I think the the idea of Alice has certainly grown in popularity and that history and kind of our modern lens has certainly complicated things that may not be as sinister as we imagine them to be. That's a very good answer. Okay, um, there is a question, uh, another anonymous question or questioner asks, I'm interested in reimagining Alice in a more modern dystopian um, cyberpunk fashion. Has that already been done as a text, not necessarily visually? That's really cool. Um, yes, so there's a book that you can check out. Um, it's called Orthnomaniacs. Um, and it's by, uh, it's a graphic novel, but it's done in a really dystopian sense. And it's by Daria Schmidt. Um, and it's as far, I think it was 2016 it came out. I'm not sure on the date, but it's it's kind of like this dystopian um, modern retelling of Alice, but through a different character name. So there's a lot of Alice allusions, a lot of Alice um, interpretations within the text, but it's done as an adaptation. In terms of cyberpunk fashion, the only one that I can think of is Camille Rose Garcia. And I know that you said not necessarily visual, but she is one of the, the coolest that I've seen in terms of cyberpunk Alice representation. Um, and she's done standalone pieces as well. In terms of texts, I'm not too sure about um, any reimagining Alice's in that particular category. I know that there's been Gothic reimaginings and that there has been um, kind of, adult reimaginings, but in terms of cyberpunk, none that I can think of right now, but Orthnomaniacs is, it's a really good text. Okay, and then I, we have a request. Uh, would you mind showing the first few slides again at the end of the webinar? I'd really appreciate the chance to note down references. Um, we can we will certainly do that in just a few minutes um there i there is one more question i'd like to put to you jade and it, it's um it's my own question and it's a little bit about this idea of these kind of connections we can't help making and if we move if we let alice grow up and we move her um you know from a more innocent victorian child to a sexualized woman and we have these unavoidable connotations like rabbit ears, you know, and Playboy bunnies, and it's just the name Lolita. Um, how do we kind of navigate as, um, as readers or consumers of Alice culture, you know, how do we kind of navigate without hypersexualizing everything ourselves and our own interpretations? Is there a way to kind of, you know, you mentioned that she's constantly in flux, constantly changing. You know, I would, of course, argue anybody would who studies children's literature that girlhood is exactly that, mm -hmm. uh, not just Alice's girlhood, any girlhood. And um, as we, especially as we start to talk about adolescence, why is it always sexual? Is there a way to kind of um, not avoid, but balance all of those unavoidable connotations that we see? you know, today in our imagination. It's a really good point um, because you're right. When we look at these adult uh, 
or these growing Alice's, we'll call her, um, we do tend to see a lot of examples whereby she's being sexualized. One of the, the studies that I did for my PhD was by an illustrator, uh, Benjamin Lacombe. And what I really liked about these illustrations is that it showed a growing Alice and it showed her through puberty. And, and there was these um, elements of, you know, uh, menstruation and this changing body, but it wasn't sexualized. There was no element of her being subject to the sexual gaze. It was more of a developing female body done through illustration. And I think that that's the right way to do it. I don't think Alice needs to be sexualized, but I think that's become a kind of a, a norm almost to expect with these child figures for some reason. Um, and it's, it's in, incredibly interesting um, and someone if anyone has anything to the contrary um, please let us know but in lots of the illustrations I've looked at it's male illustrators who are actually creating these sexual fantasies of Alice not necessarily female illustrators and I find that really interesting that female illustrators are depicting Alice in a lot more of a rebellious sense whereas the illustrators um, who have created a more sexual Alice have predominantly been men. Now, there have been some women as well, but predominantly it was male illustrators who were depicting Alice in this sexualized manner. And I guess kind of how we navigate that is to realize that Alice belongs to everyone in equal measure uh, because if we make the argument you know that okay well she's reached the stage of simulacrum where she's an idea that exists beyond the book we then have to think of okay well if she exists beyond the book who, who does she belong to and she doesn't belong to anyone and she belongs to everyone all at once um, and I think that's where the the illustrators have the chance to create a, a really nuanced version of Alice perhaps beyond the sexual representation of her. Um, and I think the sexual representation of Alice is a fascinating area of study. It's really interesting to see the progression and to see how people are perceiving this story and this particular character, but certainly to, to navigate it and to avoid hypersexualization, it really comes down to the relationship between the visual and the verbal and how people are choosing to see her. Um, I don't have an answer necessarily for how we get away from the sexualized um, Alice, but it's it's certainly a very interesting area of, of thought. Oh, that, that's great. Thank you, Jade. This is such an interesting discussion about Alice. I, I find Alice interesting almost all the time anyway, but um, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing such great insights about how she is visually um, perceived by contemporary society especially. Um, if I could ask you, would you mind uh, sharing your screen for us? And then we're just about at time and about ready to conclude. Um, so I, I wonder if the person who asked for these slides, if you want to um, post in the Q&A exactly what you're looking for, or perhaps I can um, pass your information on to Jade or Jade, if she, if she can see it, can also answer. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody very much for joining us today. Uh, we do have another seminar series coming up this month. Um, and we, I'm going to make it short and sweet here. We look forward to seeing you next time here at the seminar series. Uh, thank you very much for attending. We're going to stick around and show these slides, but uh, we're officially done. And we thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks very much. Bye, everyone. So I think it's these images that they're, or these slides that they're looking for. Yeah, first three or four, she says. Yeah. He says, she, he says, they say. They. Um, so this one is Being Alice in Japan. It's an article. Um, so I can give you the full title here if you want. It's called Being Alice in Japan, Performing a Cute Girlish Revolt. Um, and the author's name is on screen. And then the other one is here. Again, it's, uh, it's a book chapter. So not that innocent. Uh, and it's, it's not specific about Kaneko Kuniyashi's work. It's, um, it's more so about 
the, the representation of girlhood in Japanese culture and art and, and literature. So that's um, by Sarah Frederick. And I'm not sure, I don't think I had any others on screen, but if you want, my email is here. So if you want to email me and I can send you on the bibliography, that would make things a bit easier. Okay, I think that that probably did it. Lots Perfect. of thank yous. Yeah, lots of thanks in the chat. And I'll take this opportunity, Jade, to thank you again very much for joining us. And um, if, if you do want to get in touch with us about the slides, you can always reach us through Twitter and we can put you in touch with Jade uh, if you have more questions for her. So I'm going to end the meeting. Thank you all very much for joining us and we hope you have a good evening. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.